Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Jim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to episode 37. 38. 38 of Weekly Weights. We've done so many episodes now, it's, we just can't keep popping How many have we done? Well, this is 38. Right, so we've done 37. Cool. Um, <laughs> welcome to what is 38 episode of Weekly Weights. <laughs> Weekly Weights. I'm Will, with me is Alex. With us in the room is Digby. Um, nobody else here today, though. It's just the boys. And we're going to just give you some quick recommendations Alex has astutely pointed out this might come out just a smidgen too late to be of help to some of you, but it's advice for people who are going to be taking breaks from training for a few weeks or more at a time um, over summer and going traveling. And the reason this came to mind is because Alex and his girlfriend, aka my client Chrissy, are going away for how many weeks? Five weeks? Five weeks, yeah. Five weeks. Um, And obviously that's long enough that were you to have gains to lose and not do anything, you would lose them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess the big overarching question is what do you do when training's not your priority and you're away from home to minimize the losses so that you come back and hit the ground running, right? Yep. Okay. So I actually wrote an article that goes in some depth over this. It's actually pretty much going to restate the things that I'm going to state this episode, um, that's on my website, willberkman.com, and I think it's called Training and Eating on Holiday. I actually wrote it while I myself was overseas training. Um, but yeah, I'll go into I'll go into the things I said in that article. Alex and I can flesh it out a little bit, and we'll talk about how that might relate to powerlifting specifically as well. So, Alex. I'm just trying to read your notes here, and your handwriting is fucking bad. And even better, I didn't write any notes. I literally only wrote topics because I already know my own content. Yeah, but even still, I don't even... I can't even say, what, what the fuck does that say? Well, what is that word? That obviously... So there's a, there's a vertical line, then what looks like one of those childlike birds. There's a circle, then looks like an M, and then a G. And that obviously says training. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hieroglyphics, dude. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you can read hieroglyphics, you're fine. Worked for Egypt, man. They built the pyramids and like spoke with aliens, and that's how Scientology spoke came to be. With <laughs> All right. Hell. Okay, so so you're going on a holiday. Um, the first, like, the philosophical question is how much training should you do and why. And from my perspective, Alex, tell me whether you differ. If you're going on a holiday, you're going on a holiday actually to have a break which means that you don't want to try and basically transpose an entire training routine and make your holiday revolve around that. What you want to do is do training that is minimally disruptive to your holiday plans while still enabling you to also minimize losses in whatever it happens to be that's important to you Mm -hmm. while you're gone. So you basically want to have the minimum dose rather than focusing on still getting better and just spending all your time in a hotel gym. Yeah, it's more like maintenance training for, for the period of time that you're away. Yeah, so if you look at things through the lens of what can I do to literally just maintain where I am rather than what can I do to continue gaining, it's going to make things much easier both for you to make decisions and for you to understand why it is that we're going to say the things that we're going to say. I think this also depends on uh, where the person is within a competition cycle, whether they have a competition coming up or that kind of stuff because if you are on holiday, you have free time where you're not working. Yeah. So if you do want to train and you still want to improve, you can. 
Yeah. But you need to be like aware that it's probably not going to be equal to if you're at home. Yeah, but so I'm going to answer, I'm going to respond to that philosophically. I don't think you should be going on a holiday for four weeks to six weeks when you're eight weeks out from a competition. I think, agreed. Yeah, agreed. I think you should plan to do your competitions shortly before you go on a trip or a sufficiently long time after you go on the trip if you're going away for a decent period of time where training won't be a priority. Plan your competitions away from that time. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it would be very sensible um, and I think it would be very disappointing in the way you performed unless you got quite lucky to go away on a holiday of any extended duration um, in the prep petition, in the prep for a competition. I agree with you there, but sometimes these things are unavoidable. Yeah. If you have kids, for instance, and your competition is maybe four or six weeks after school holidays, yep. and the only time you can go away with the kids is on school holidays, Sure. you may want to continue making progress. It might be a bit slower than if you're at home, but you are on holiday. You do have time to train. Yep. It's just a matter of whether you consider it to be like the highest priority or not. Sure. Well, actually, let's then let's talk about that. So if you're going on holidays during school holidays with your kids and you're going away for anything less than probably two weeks, maybe even three weeks at a stretch, if you're going away for anything less than two weeks, then it is not going to make an enormous difference to the amount of general strength or muscle that you're holding to barely train at all. And if you do the maintenance training that we talk about here, chances are you'll come back pretty much ready to hit the ground running and just be a little bit rested. It's not ideal if you're, say, six weeks out from a competition because you are trying to ramp up your weights pretty significantly, but it's actually not going to be to your detriment to go on a short trip. Where I'm where I'm really going to start talking about what I think is important in training, where that kicks in is probably in the three-week, four-week onward mark where you're actually going on an, on an extended trip. But I, yeah, I 100%, 100% agree. If you can only go away with your family for a week and that happens to be six weeks out from your comp, that's not ideal. But when it's a week, that's literally just a time when you can time a deload and you can still have the best of your holiday as well. Yeah. You so think? I guess if I guess the first thing then is if you're going to have a long holiday, try and do a competition just before it yeah. or plan one for months down the track. Like for instance, I'm going away now for five weeks. My next competition isn't until the end of June. So literally six months from now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think a bit down the track, I'll explain another reason why I think that's very important, but I think that's sage advice. Don't try and compete shortly after your competition unless you really don't care how badly you go. The So I already said philosophically, I think that you should try and do the minimum training that you have to do. The next question is sort of what are you actually trying to train for? And I wrote about this in my article as well. I think nearly everybody who is listening to this podcast when they go away should be training for the maintenance of muscle size. And the reason I say that is if you're a strength athlete, then muscle is the thing that lifts the weights and you'll probably lose some top end strength by not doing much heavy work. But if you still have the muscle there, then the top end strength comes back. And I also think it's really inefficient to try and train for very top end strength. And if you're a bodybuilder, then if all you do is maintain muscle size but lose a little bit of your fullness and definition and things, it's easy to get that back in the short term. Um, muscle takes a long time to build and it's also relatively easily maintained with relatively low volumes of training, again, which I'll get into very shortly. So so yeah, aim to basically maintain muscle size and if you use that as your, your sort of measure of, you know, or your target, I guess, in planning your training when you're away, then you're probably setting yourself up to be quite successful in whatever endeavor you have when you get back. Yeah, Alex? Yeah, I agree. And if we look at the training that's required to maintain muscle size versus if we're pushing absolute load, 
it's a lot less mentally demanding. Yeah, 100%. And the time taken between sets is a lot shorter. So the time in the gym is going to be a lot shorter. It's not going to be as emotionally taxing as, as mentally taxing. And then you can just go back to go on holiday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, aim to maintain muscle size. So, so we've said do as little as you can and make that little targeted to maintaining muscle size. The next question is what dosage of training is required to maintain muscle? So when I was at university, the classic detraining study that we spoke about was one where people trained, I think it was, I don't know how many times a week. It might have been three times a week, but it was certainly three sets for a given exercise. I think it was like either a leg extension or a leg press, but it was three sets of the exercise to failure for a few months. And they built muscle and they measured the change from baseline to the three-month mark. And then afterwards, they had a group do one set a week and a group do, or one set per session instead of three, and a group that did no training at all. And then a group that continued with, I think, three sets at a maintenance dose. I'm not 100% on the last one. But the important thing that they found was that the people who did one set, so one third of the work that they had done previously, were able to maintain all of the gains that they'd made in the prior months with one third of the volume. And then from there, there's been more research and basically people, the general conclusion seems to be that if the intensity of effort is maintained at a high enough level, so you give enough of sort of a hard tension stimulus to the muscles, then with a relatively large reduction in volume, you can maintain muscle size. Now, what that doesn't mean necessarily is that you'll still have that same sort of fullness and pump that you get from doing high volumes of work because some of that is storage of water in your muscle cells and extra glycogen storage and things. But in terms of the actual like contractile tissue that's there, you're not going to lose very much at all if you go from having done, say, 15 hard sets of leg training a week to doing 5 to 10 when you're on holidays. And when you actually strip that out and say, you're, I'll get to how many days a week you should train down the track but if you strip that out to saying you're going to train you know two times a week maybe with a third what that means is you only really need to do three relatively hard sets per body part each time you train um with those studies were were those done on like beginner beginner trainees or trained individuals or what was the criteria I believe the first one like the main one that I spoke about was actually done on relatively untrained people and that's a criticism that's been brought yeah, up so before. in the real world first our audience which are competitive, generally competitive powerlifters, someone who's sort of in the middling to high intermediate stage, uh, how does that differ to the beginner? I think it only differs in the magnitude of stimulus required. So in that instance, people were doing three sets and dropped to one. Most people who are at all serious about bodybuilding or powerlifting are doing many more than three hard sets per week. But I think if you say, hey, I'm going to do you know half the volume that I normally did, that's still probably an appropriate maintenance dose. And to corroborate that, um, there are people, so Lyle McDonald's a very good example, who are, you know, I guess you would say he's a luminary in the field, who, who's advised many people during cuts to do volume reductions of up to half or a third. Um, and those people still get fantastically good results for muscle maintenance. And then the rationale for that is because people don't have the same recovery capacity on lower calories. So if in hypocaloric conditions relatively lower volumes provided that the tension stimulus is still high is enough to maintain muscle mass i still don't think it's unreasonable to say that if you do about half the work maybe a little bit less than you normally do um that you can maintain muscle now in my article i also compared the recommendation i just made to some of the recommendations um, that we have around maximizing muscle growth 
So there was a meta-analysis on volume and hypertrophy by Brad Schoenfeld, I think it was 2015 or 2016, and they found a dose-response relationship between the number of sets done per week per muscle group and, um, and muscle hypertrophy that they found it up to 10 sets a week, and then beyond that, they didn't have enough data to sort of see where that relationship started to break down or whether there was like an inverted U or whether it just continued long-term. But they did find that more volume was better up until that point and probably passed it. Importantly, though, the people who did the lowest volumes in that meta-analysis who were, just like I was saying um, with this study, who were mostly quite untrained, the people on the lower volume still did gain muscle. But if you say, oh, hey, you know, 10-ish sets a week seems to give an appreciable advantage to muscle, um, muscle gain and be demonstrably effective for gaining muscle then if we reduce our training stress from 15 sets a week to sort of eight to 10 or, you know, seven to eight when traveling, that's probably a reasonable stimulus for muscle growth. The other big review on muscle growth growth that I had read at the time of that article was one by a bloke called Wernbaum. And I think that's from 2001. Um, and one of his conclusions was something in the realms of, I think it was 30 to 60 and then revised up to 40 to 70 hard reps per muscle um per like muscle group or per muscle um twice ish per week or once to twice per week what seemed to be the most effective dose for muscle growth so again if you think well what does 60 ish reps look like um on a muscle and you say well you know if you do sort of three or four sets of 10 twice a week that's suddenly what's that 60 to 80 um was that 60 was that 60 to 80 reps per Muscle group per dosage or yeah. per week? Per dosage. So okay. once so or twice per week. Twice. Which Yeah, which so, but that expands 30 to, or 30 to 60 or 40 to 80 or 40 to 70, say. Once or twice per week expands to something in the realms of 60 to 120. And that's for maximal hypertrophy, right? right. Yeah. So again... hypertrophy, yeah. No. So again, if you sort of... If you look at that and you say, well, look, you know, if I'm doing, like I said, three or four hard sets of eight to 10 reps, so just for ease's sake, say you're doing four sets of eight or four sets of 10. So 32 to 40 hard reps per muscle group twice a week. That's 60-ish hard sets. That's all, oh, 60-ish hard reps, which is also about eight hard sets per muscle group per week. Likely that's enough stimulus. It's enough stimulus to stimulate hypertrophy in lots of people. So there's a very good chance it's also enough stimulus for you to maintain what you've got. So when we look, when we look at that practically, you're probably thinking at home, that's not a lot of training. No, and really, that's that's a good thing. That means you don't you don't need to do a lot of training when you're away, in order to not lose what you've created. No, and I think there's there's two important things to consider. One is that that's not an awful lot of training, but it actually needs to be hard. So three and two, and relating to this is the way that powerlifters think. Well, hey, I do five sets of squats every time I train say say I or say they say I do 14 sets of squats a week and then an additional eight sets of quad accessories I'm doing 22 sets of quad work which wouldn't that wouldn't be unreasonable for a lot of powerlifters the majority of powerlifting sets though are considerably or at least if you train relatively smart and you're not peaking um, most of your sets are actually a pretty long way from failure and so you might do five sets that are not sufficiently hard that I would count them all sort of one for one as hard sets for hypertrophy. Whereas if you're doing a set of, say you're doing sets of eight for hypertrophy, then they should probably be sets of eight with no less than about a 12 rep max. So meaning if I can squat 
you know, I can squat 180, say, for 12 reps, then in this instance, I'd be aiming to do something like 180 for, you know, a few sets of eight or 170 for a few sets of eight to 10, which is suddenly hard training, right? As opposed to doing 150, 160 like I might now. Would you say that it would probably be more beneficial to do the main lifts loaded light in lieu of technique, like trying to maintain the patterns that you've built and then actually do the hard reps on stuff that's not as difficult? I actually don't think that you need to spend a lot of time doing the main lifts at all when you're traveling. And there's a couple of reasons I think that. Um, So to answer what you said, I would do, if I was going to do the main lifts at all, I would usually do a couple of hard sets on them. And I don't think technical breakdown doing two to three sets of eight on the main lifts, unless you're a pretty poor lifter, I don't think technical breakdown is going to be a huge issue if you're doing that like once to twice a week. So that's not a big deal. But the reason I say you don't necessarily need to do them is because we're training to maintain muscle. All you really need to do is pick an exercise that you can train relatively hard and put sufficient tension through the muscles. So to me, doing a leg press or a hack squat is a perfectly reasonable substitution for the main lifts. Um, so there's no huge downside to that other than losing a bit of technique, which comes back when you go back to squatting in your reintroductory block. So that's number one. Number two, when you're traveling, it's not always the case that you actually have access to really good lifting equipment or that you'll necessarily have a belt sleeve and shoes and all that stuff with you. So you may not necessarily find it as easy to squat, say, very heavy or deadlift very heavy. If you have shit bars, like, say, I had when I was in Guatemala, deadlifting becomes nearly impossible. But if you can still maintain, you know, your hamstring and glute size and strength by doing some hard hamstring curls and some hip thrusts or something, then you can go ahead and just do that instead. Um, And then sort of related to that is that the risk of injury from poorly executing the main lifts, particularly with poor equipment under conditions that are suboptimal, if you try and really push them hard, is probably slightly higher than the risk of injury for you just doing a few hardish bodybuilding sets on machines that are actually designed to facilitate you training really hard easily. Yeah, and then the implication on that is that if you know if you're having five weeks away from training like Chrissy and I, and you're sort of taking time away from the main lifts, you're releasing those niggles and all those little knots and stuff that you get from just repetitively doing the same thing. Yeah. So for instance, my elbows used to get really, really jacked up doing low bar squats, very common very common thing in powerlift is if I took five weeks away from low bar squatting, when I come back into the gym again, I'm fresh, I'm fresh as a daisy and ready to go. So those like this holiday can kind of be like a break from training and sort of like, like a prolonged rest period, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I would, yeah, to exactly that, I would say choose your exercises on the basis of availability, comfort, and your ability to just train them relatively hard. If that means doing the main lifts, then great do a few sets of the main lifts. If you walk into the gym and you say, you know, these racks are going to give me like tetanus and oh, yeah, those squat bars are going to give me tetanus and the weights look shit and I don't think I can secure enough weight on the bar, but there's a leg press in the corner. Just do some leg press. Doesn't really matter. Do a few hard sets and get back to it next time. Um, this is another reason why I, after a prolonged trip, I wouldn't necessarily tell people going back to a meet is smart is because you may not actually have the opportunity to do very well structured training unless you've planned your trip around the availability of good gyms um yeah and likewise if you have a let's say you have a following a program and low bar squat is in your program and you're on you're somewhere where it's very humid it's very sweaty and there's no chalk in the gym the bar won't stick to your back you might need to just put the bar up higher on your back mm. like that that might be the the change that you need to make 
Yeah, for instance, when I was in Mexico, I, I trained at a gym in Puerto Escondido where the bars literally didn't have knurling. So not only, and like they were 20 kilo bars and they had 20 and 25 kilo plates. So I ended up squatting, I think, 170 or 180 for eight um, with a bar with no center knurling. But I did one set and the bar was like full on sliding around on my back. Yeah. So I popped the bar on the front of my shoulders and did two more sets of front squats and then just went and did some split squats in the corner. And that was it. Yeah, what I, was, I had a similar thing when I was in Bali. Humid, shit bars, like hex plates, couldn't deadlift, like just terrible. Yeah. Just had to had to do something else. Yeah, but again, I don't think that's a problem. So I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring back what we've said so far to my recommendations about training. So I've said that intensity, it needs to be relatively close to failure. I'm actually gonna give you some ballpark rep ranges in a moment. Um, and volume, I think if you do three to four hard sets twice a week, that's um, that's sufficient which means frequency of training twice a week to facilitate those three to four hard sets. If you miss, um, yeah, sorry, twice a week per muscle, but I also think your sessions should probably be full body sessions if you're on a holiday. And the reason I think that is because if you only have to go to the gym twice, it's pretty easy to fit in your schedule and it's not very expensive if you're having to pay for it a lot, Um, like as in pay for it as a casual visitor. If you're planning on doing an upper body session and a lower body session, twice per week say suddenly having to go to the gym four times which means in order to train well you probably don't want to be hung over which means you have to pay going to the gym four times so i would do a couple of full body sessions and maybe a top off session if you want to um to quickly cap off the intensity thing we already said that bodybuilder style training is less stressful and a bit easier on you in general i think it is prudent to do most of your lifting in the six to twelve rep range when you're trying to do this stuff And the reason is if you go heavier than about six reps, it can either be really impractical depending on the equipment you have available to you. Like say your only quad exercise is a leg extension. You're not going to do sets of five. Um, Say you're squatting. If the equipment's not very good, you might be comfortable doing a few sets of eight to 10, but you really don't want to push, you know, three to fives out. There's that. Like Alex said, it's much more stressful to do the heavier work. Um, And provided that you still do something in the 6 to 12 range, you will get enough of a tension stimulus to maintain muscle. The reason I say don't go far beyond that, though, is because most people are not really conditioned to doing very high reps, and you need to take those sets so close to failure for them to be sufficiently stimulative that you're not going to be able to do multiple sets. You'll do one, and you'll be absolutely gassed out. Um, Alex, have you got anything to add, really, to that? No. So, So summarizing training recommendations one last time, Go to the gym probably twice a week. Do full body sessions um, and pick exercises in each slot or to target each muscle group that you can train hard. Do a few pretty hard sets close to failure each time you go. If you do that and you miss your second session per week, I still think you're probably going to be fine on a week-by-week basis, but you want to do at least two. A third is great. Um, Anything to add, Alex? I've got a question for you, Will. I just want your opinion on this. If you are someone who goes on holiday, but you're also someone who loves spending time in the gym and actually enjoys training mm-hmm. how would these recommendations differ like what if someone told you like i'm going away for a few weeks i want to train four days a week like i just it makes me feel good etc etc what would you say <laughs> i i'm kind of smirking because i'd want it i'd want them to get their head checked i would actually still encourage them to do less and the reasons are for that active recovery and stuff like you said or not active recovery what, that- if, it, what if it's like like the example you mentioned before, two upper lower sessions 
hypertrophy focus, like yeah. just in the gym four times for 45 to 60 minutes. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. And I actually wouldn't change much about the recommendations in terms of volume for each body part. Just I would spread just, it out. Yeah, so say you wanted to go and do your upper session and you're like, well, I want to do five sets of pushing, five sets of pulling. I would literally say, okay, do three hard sets of a horizontal press and two hard sets of an overhead press, you know, feet warm-ups. Same thing for a horizontal pull and a vertical pull. Flip them on your other upper day and then you could say at the end, if you have time and you want to, do a bit of arm work because there's certainly no detriment to doing a little bit more. You can do a bit of that and then go, you know, and that session would take you 45 minutes and you'd still feel good. Same for your lower body stuff. You could split a tiny bit more between compound and isolation work but still just do sort of five-ish hard sets. And you probably find that that person would freshen up from the reduction in training volume and just give them, you know, give them a bit of a break from really grinding hard because anybody who says that is also the type of person who likes to train lots and lots and lots with high volume when they're in Sydney or wherever they live normally, I bet. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, okay, what about, what about nutrition on holiday? Okay, also in my article, um, so there's two potential things that together sum up to a really bad result um, when you're away. One is the potential for lots of fat gain and the other is the potential for muscle loss. So fat gain comes from a calorie surplus. Oh, sorry, and when you combine them together, you get like the reverse of recomposition in the way that we like it. Decomposition. Yeah, I made that exact joke in Did my you? article. Yeah, I said... I haven't read your article, so... Yeah, it's my joke. Um, yeah, decomposition. So... Can, Will, can you start releasing your articles in audio form? Because I don't read... This was actually exactly why. So Weekly Weights started because I wanted to do some case study stuff and I, I knew Alex wouldn't write anything. So I said, I'll interview you and transcribe it. And then he said, oh, why don't we just do a podcast? And I was like, oh, no, it'll listen. And here we are. Here we are, all 10 of you. Hello. <laughs> Listening. So, um, so yeah, two issues. One is gaining fat, the other is losing muscle. When you have both of them together or even you lose muscle and you maintain and you maintain weight by putting on a bit of extra fat, you look like shit. So how do we prevent fat gain? Um, You prevent a relative energy surplus, which means that you have some sensible nutrition practices. Again, when you go overseas, you're there to sample the cuisine, you want to eat nice things. So you should facilitate yourself doing that. All that means is around that time, make sensible food choices, eat plenty of vegetables, eat lots of sample foods, whole grain, oh, sorry, staple foods, I should say. Stable foods, vegetables, whole grains, all of that stuff, and then just have your little desserts and your nice meals maybe once a day. If you can do that, you probably won't put yourself in a huge energy surplus, provided that you're not sitting around being a couch potato. So the second part is do some activity, you know, do some training. That'll help you partition calories well. Walk around cities, you know, go for a swim or a ski or whatever it happens to be. If you do that and you don't eat like an idiot, you won't put on a huge amount of fat. The second part is preventing muscle loss. Your training does a huge bulk of that. And the second part is getting adequate protein in. So if you can get some protein in at each main meal of the day, then you're doing a pretty good job. Chances are you won't get to the sort of like, you know, perfect intake recommendations. What would you recommend for someone as a minimum on a holiday grams per kilogram? Yeah, so you beat me to the punch. Um, Optimal is probably 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilo. 1.4 grams per kilo is probably still plenty um, for muscle maintenance. In fact, I remember when we did a sports nutrition subject at uni, they were saying that 1.4 to 1.6 grams would probably be sufficient for maximal hypertrophy. That's That just seems incorrect in light of the evidence. But 1.4 grams per kilo is probably plenty. 
what that amounts to if you're so i'm a 90 kilo man so 1.4 times 90 four nines alex are 36 got it 126 grams of protein per day which means if i'm having <laughs> yeah thanks alex he's just gotten the calculator out to confirm so um so if i had a fist-sized piece of protein at each main meal each one of them would probably be in the realms of 30 maybe 35 grams of protein right so i'm already at 100 ish grams from that so 90 to 105 grams and then your tag along protein from a couple of snacks would take you up close to that so all it takes is really making some effort at each main meal to have some protein when your protein intake is suboptimal there is probably more benefit to having protein timed around workouts so i would also encourage people when they do training like we've just said twice a week to actually have a shake or at least time a larger protein meal for around that training time and then the one final recommendation i give people who are really concerned about this stuff is to say don't only try and have a protein serving at each meal but at one of your main meals per day if you get the chance try and have a bigger protein serving so if you had 30 grams at one 30 grams at the next and then you actually had like you know a big burrito say or a steak that took you to 50 60 grams of protein in a meal then suddenly your protein intake is more than adequate and you're doing enough training to maintain muscle mass. So, so long as you don't overeat, you're not going to get fat and you're not going to lose muscle and you've prevented decomposition. And if you are short on a few grams of protein, how many how many grams of protein in like 20 beers? Like 40? I, I think it's about, <laughs> I think it's maybe 10 or 15 grams of protein per beer these days, man. Yeah, the, um, did you, you know, um, remember the Jersey Shore? Do, you remember Do the I show? remember show Jersey Do you remember Shore? Remember the show, yes. Jersey Shore? Remember Mike, the situation? I, I know who that is. I he, never watched um, it. Anyway, Mike, the situation from the Jersey Shore released the protein-infused vodka. I remember. No, there was protein <laughs> beer at one stage. Well, he it was his brand. That's awesome. protein-induced vodka. That is So if you're on holiday, awesome. get get a hold of some of that stuff. Yeah, you should, actually. Um, shots, be awesome. shots between sets. Yeah, but again, I think, I think you run the risk of going either way with nutrition on holidays. So number one would be being so obsessive... Um, with maintaining your meal plan that you forego the opportunity to actually trial the foods of the you know of the places you're in and you know if you're in thailand you want to try thai food you don't want to eat the street food necessarily that can get you sick um you know and if you're in mexico you want to try mexican food if you're in italy you want to eat italian food and so on so i think if you spent all your time literally just having protein shakes and bars and things that are really suck and you're missing a cultural opportunity and also when you're in a country that doesn't have like a access to that kind of stuff readily it's a lot more expensive yeah it's a pain in the ass and you don't want to take up your luggage space with like a big tub of optimum nutrition way <laughs> shout out um, optimum nutrition sponsor the boys please <laughs> yeah shout out nick cheadle speak to optimum um yeah so so that's one end of the spectrum then the other end of the spectrum is being like i'm on holidays i'm just gonna have like pancakes for breakfast and something shit for lunch and pizza for dinner and you know that's really dumb as well and it's pretty easy to find the middle ground so so nutrition on holidays is really basically be sensible, make some effort to get some protein and be sufficiently active and don't eat over much to the point that you get fat. And if you've gone on a five or six week trip and you come back and you've gained a kilo, you're really like, it's a very small trade-off for having had five or six weeks away and having a really good time, right? Mm-hmm. So, so again, put all of this in context, come back, you're one kilo fatter, you've maintained almost all the muscle that you've had and you've got your general strength adaptations. You're doing a pretty good and job. And your body's fresh from niggles and stuff like that. Yeah, you're ready to hit the ground running. What now, about um, what about alcohol intake? Oh, heaps. <laughs> um, no, alcohol... Okay, 
I actually spoke about this in my article as well. I feel like you have read my article. Is this your most subtle troll yet? <laughs> he hasn't read it. I've read it. Oh, you did? Good man. I think that's the only one I've read, though. Oh, because you. it was like the first one you did. Yeah, and I was away and you missed me. And you're like, wow, I can't wait to read 10,000 <laughs> words of Burke. <laughs> it wasn't 10,000 words. It was about 9,000, man. Fuck, I definitely didn't read it then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so alcohol... Um, <laughs> So the biggest potential detriment for alcohol other than contributing surplus energy um, is that it fucks with your training and it's alcohol is often consumed along with other foods. If you drink alcohol when you're on your holiday, then you're just having a holiday. So I would, I would basically say to people, drink, um, enjoy yourself, try and time your training days for days you're not hungover, which is another thing that makes training twice a week good. Um, you know, so have an early night and train hard on those days. Um, otherwise, yeah, drink, try and either choose sensible drinks or at least be cognizant of the fact that you need to budget some extra energy for having um, for having things like pina coladas. So yeah, eat relatively sensibly. Don't be hungover on the days that you train. Enjoy drinking, ideally in moderation, but if you're going to have a lot, then at least be smart about your nutrition around it or say, hey, I'd rather like get smashed for five weeks and be a little bit chubbier then be sensible that's fine just make the informed decision but otherwise enjoy yourself um yeah i don't think it really bears much saying beyond that if you're if your main concern is how can i get most pissed without losing my gains then really your main concern is that you want to go get pissed so you might as well do it for, for sure yeah alex is being like fuck yeah i'm gonna get so I, um, lit when you're in Mexico. i have some tips for people if you're if you're at a buffet or you're staying at a resort and every meal that you have is a buffet the first couple of plates that you, well, the first plate have something that's like vegetables or like a salad. Yeah. This, this would be for like lunch or dinner. The first plate you have have vegetables or a salad that'll get some food in your belly and fill you up a little bit. And then from there, um, then have a protein source on the next one and try and keep your plates smaller rather than piling everything onto the plate so that if you do want more food, you have to go and actually get it. It's not just in front of you on the plate. Yeah, I think. There's actually research showing that people's ad-lib food intake scales with the number of options presented to them. So at a buffet, another really good strategy is to walk in and if there's 10 things on the buffet, this is hard to do. But if you say, I'm just going to pick the four that I want and eat them, you'll probably eat less food than if you say, I'm going to I'm gonna have like a good amount of those three because they look good, but I want to sample the other seven. That will always sum to more. So walk into the buffet and say, that salad looks good, that meat looks good, that bread looks good, that dessert looks good. Have that stuff, um, you know, to contentment in the way Alex said, and you're probably setting yourself up to eat pretty well. And um, tips for drinking. If you are worried about the calorie intake of your drinks, try and go with like a spirit and mix with something without calories in it. Yeah, good idea. Um, Or tactical vomit. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't weekly serious. Weekly weights encouraging, believe Yeah, me. weekly weights, far out. I can't wait. Okay. I'm so glad I didn't get my accreditation from the Dietetics Association. I chose not to because I didn't want to be a dietitian um, like as a career. But I'm just thinking how funny it would be to just be the guy that the DAA has to write to and say, oh, we will stop advocating binge drinking, telling people it's okay, and telling them to puke it up. Guys, don't induce vomiting. Yeah, don't do that. Um, Unless you like feel really sick and it'll make you feel better afterwards. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't self-induce. If you think you have to vomit and you're not sure, do a hundred burpees and reassess. 
have you ever had have you ever had a tacky vom yeah 100% I have I've done a few I remember like one night in particular I, I felt so sick waiting in the line for mega I wasn't even that drunk but I was yeah. like I just had too much all at once and too much food I think waiting in the line for mega scan myself in run upstairs tack vom like immediately getting yeah. into the club and then it was like I felt fucking a million dollars afterwards and it was a sick night so I was on a I was on a a university trip and we had this pub crawl I was in Queenstown in New Zealand and all the boys had to dress as cavemen and it was in the middle of winter and we were running around um, Queenstown going to different bars and like you had to solve a puzzle and do a drinking challenge before you could go to the next one and it was a race and I was with the boys and I'm dressed in like literally one cloth layer only no shoes freezing right um and I had to scull a pint of Guinness. Oh. And then we solved our clue and it was literally, it was probably a kilometre run after I've just sculled a pint of Guinness. Oh. And I just, I looked at my mate and I was just like, I'm doing it. And just turned around and infused and went like, Bleh. and after that, I ran like the clappers, bro. You've never seen someone run so fast. How heavy were you at this point? Oh no, this was, this was skinny Burke. I was like low 80s. This was 2012, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's alcohol. Um, one other thing that I wanted to cover, which was reintroduction to training. So if you've come back from, if you've come back from overseas um, and you've gotten acclimated to doing like half of the volume that you normally do, do not jump back to full training straight away, even though you'll feel fresh and raring and ready to go and motivated because that jump in training load is one of the things that is most likely to predispose you to injury. Instead, your best bet is to slowly titrate your training loads up from where you came back to full training. So if you've been gone for three or four weeks, you can do this relatively rapidly. If you've been gone for longer, it needs to take longer, but you might say start your first week at a similar training volume to what you did when you were overseas, then add 10 or 15% more sets to week two, 10 or 15% more sets to week three and so on until after four or five weeks, you're back at full training volume. And in that time, only really incrementally increase intensity because in doing that, you can start doing things like reintroducing the main lifts and practicing good technique technique with them and stuff. So doing the things that will set you up to progress. But if you do it too rapidly, you're really going to predispose yourself to like either overuse injuries or like something acute and it's not good to come back from training um, from holidays like really motivated and ready to go and suddenly hurt yourself yeah or just burn out yeah or just burn out so all of these all of these strategies and everything that we've spoken about in this episode relates back to the overarching idea of powerlifting is a marathon not a sprint so if we're trying to train and make the most gains we can while we're on holiday we're not giving ourselves time to refresh and reset to then come back and hit training again when we when we get back. And if we do get back and we try and jump straight back into what we were capable of before we went away, again, we're not giving ourselves that long term. There's not that long term mindset in uh, in mind, and we're just we're just going to lead to burnout, injury, etc. Yeah, and so the when we were when when I was talking about why I wouldn't plan meets for shortly after um, after a decent length trip. This is another reason, so hopefully this makes sense now. Because you are going to come back slightly detrained or at least slightly less accustomed to doing lots of work, to then say, I'm going to really ramp up my training like you do in the last few weeks of meat prep is, I think, just 
a if you get through it, you probably won't perform as well as you could, but you're more likely to get hurt. Just, than you want. Yeah, it's just a short short sighted approach. Yeah, it's it's more prudent to say, okay, I've had my trip, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to build something from here. And you really are very well set up, like Alex said, because you are fresh and you're motivated and your niggles are gone. You're set up to do developmental work and actually get a bigger PB further down the track if you're willing to be patient. Yeah, if you if you come back from a holiday and you've got sixteen to twenty weeks. You might have the first two or three weeks intro- introducing yourself back into volume, and then you might have six weeks of volume work, and then you might go into a strength block, and then a peak. And that's like the perfect—that's the perfect way to plan a competition cycle. Yeah, literally perfect. So, I'm just going to really quickly summarize the things that I said. Um, so, one: How often should you train? I think probably twice a week with full body sessions, and only more if you really feel like it. Um, how hard should you train? You should do sets that are relatively close to failure, like you know, two to three reps from failure or less in the six to 12 rep range. Um, you should do probably three or four hard sets per session per body part. And you should choose exercises based on availability, comfort, and you know, enjoyment and things that don't aggravate any injuries. So reduce in- injury risk. Um, do that sort of aim or aim to roughly maintain performance and you'll likely come back without having lost much muscle when you come back do some reintroductory work slowly titrate your workloads back up um for food aim to get adequate protein in at your three main meals per day maybe one meal with a little bit more protein maybe a protein supplement or like a shake or something or just a bigger protein containing meal around the days that you train if you're going to drink alcohol strawpedo everything and vom or <laughs> or have your days that you drink strawpedo is peaceful um, time yeah time your drinking days away from the days that um, that you're going to train if you can and budget some extra calories for them consider doing some other activity either for enjoyment or just to burn some more calories so you don't get over fat but beyond that enjoy the food while you're there and just make largely sensible decisions have plenty of vegetables drink water but not the tap water unless you know it's safe Alex you got anything to add? Good, man. We're good. Peaceful. All right. Thank you so much, guys. That was Weekly Weights. I'm Will. I'm Alex. Hope you had a good uh, holiday period, and hopefully yeah. this is actually useful for you because it's bad timing. Yeah, you can we listen to it and really... think of all the things you did wrong. <laughs> we should definitely release this one before. No, I'm going to put it out late, and it'll be like, I hope some of my competitors listen to it after they've just gotten back from a trip, and they're like, fuck, and I'm like, aha. Is that schadenfreude? Don't think so. Schadenfreude's when people suffer ill fate that is deserved or ironic I think um, so that would be like when the Liberal Party were laughing at Labour for having leadership in fights and then they had leadership in fights and Labour were looking at them and they're like haha schadenfreude haha I don't know I don't speak enough German to be certain Greta Schumacher write to me let me know and let us know when Top Lift is going to be coming out <laughs> yeah alright thanks guys see you later <laughs>